0: Welcome to the Inside Bassmaster Podcast presented by Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's our 2023 finale episode. Kyle, I don't even know what episode we are in the podcast, but it is the last one of 2023. And who better to have on today then our guy the 2023 progressive bassmaster angler of the year kyle welcher so i look forward to spending our last podcast of the 2023 calendar year with the best angler from the season we'll get to talk to him quite a bit today and get to kind of see how his whole season went and more but kyle appreciate you joining me i hope you had a merry christmas and in the next few days i hope you have a happy new year as well
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's Weird that we're getting to the to the end of the year. Uh, I'm just a few days away from the new year now, um, which the last few days of having a break has been nice. But <laughs> then you start thinking about all the uh, responsibilities and things you have uh, between now and the first college event, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not really looking forward to that too much. But um, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to to get the year turned over and and yeah, I, I think that the last two podcasts we've done here between Easton, um, you know, last week and then Kyle Welcher this week uh we've given these guys enough time to kind of think think on uh the season and the year and and uh hopefully give us some new thoughts that haven't really been talked about much so hopefully we get some of that with uh with Kyle today I'm certainly looking forward to uh talking to him
0: yeah I think that you know there's something to be said for the immediate podcast about an event or a moment or with a person immediately after their big deal but when they get asked to be on every podcast for four or five days straight, it's kind of a lot. And then more life happens. You get opens that start up, college, all these different things going on. And I'm glad we've got to save some of our best guests our best guests of the year. For the end of our season, when we're in the offseason, you kind of get to sit back and actually reflect on it. We've been making Bassmaster TV shows here for FS1, kind of recapping events specifically, but also including those races for Opens AOI race with JT Tompkins and John Garrett. And then you've got mixture of Rookie of the Year mixed in. I just proofed the New York show, which is going to encapsulate. Not only Kyoya Fujita winning Champlain, but the rookie of the year battle. Then you've got Patrick Walters winning the St. Lawrence, as well as the AOI battle of Welcher and Cobb in there all mixed together. So some of these shows kind of get to bring these old memories back into a new light. And we kind of get to see also what this impact has been for someone. Because if we remember talking to Kyle um, at some point, I think maybe it was for a pattern of the month last year, if it was November, maybe it was December. And he was really taking the offseason to hone in on his weaknesses, which was at the time forward-facing sonar. He is known as the junk fisherman uh, since he's been on the Elite Series. Throwing a crankbait, and then we'll see him throwing a chatterbait, and then he's flipping a mat the next minute, and then he's picking up a topwater. And so to see Kyle Welcher go into last offseason after his worst professional fishing season of the previous three and then go and not only take something that was a weakness, make it a strength, and then so much so that that northern swing that we thought was in question, at least I did, for our top two guys, Cobb and Welcher, it's not in their wheelhouse. He really showed how much he's learned and used it to adapt to his game while still keeping that shallow water mindset for all the other events. I mean, we saw him sight fishing at Santee Cooper. We saw him uh, at the Sabine River get a top 10 with you know uh, the backwater fishing style and uh, obviously doing well along the way at the Okeechobes and the Seminoles of the world early in the season.
1: Yeah, naturally, we'll talk more about it with Kyle. I'm sure we basically can't uh, have a podcast without mentioning forward-facing sonar to some degree, but (laughs) I still think looking back, one of the most interesting things about uh, the angle of the year race is when you look at Kyle Welcher and Brandon Cobb, they basically mirror each other as far as strength. Like They fish like if you just took a tournament equation out of, you know, tournament out of the equation uh, and they just went fishing. I mean, you can see this on Kyle's YouTube channel. Um, Brandon, obviously the same way. They like to just fish shallow and throw a docks and throw a jig and throw a buzzbait and just fish shallow and beat the bank. Uh, but both of those guys, like you said, honing in on the forward-facing sonar aspect of it in the tournaments where you needed it um, seemed to be such a good combination. And it'll be interesting to see moving forward, obviously the schedules have a huge uh, factor in who does well. I mean, that's kind of a no brainer, but um, you know, you take a guy or two guys like those guys that had such incredible seasons that their strengths are just fishing the bank, fishing shallow. Uh, and then we're able to kind of add on the forward facing sonar element, uh, you know, as where there are some pros let's just be honest that's what they're going out there looking to do is to you know utilize forward-facing sonar and try to find those fish off the bank that maybe other people aren't fishing for so um uh yeah just one one of the the more interesting facts I know we you and I talked about it you know at the end of the season but um certainly will be interesting to see uh you know how that works out in the future as well
0: yeah, I it just kind of was an epiphany to me. Obviously, we know guys fishing styles and whatnot, but it may be something to look at, to look at Welcher's high finishes and to see where Brandon Cobb factored. I think Welcher did well at the Gunnersville fall event, and Cobb was in the top five in that event for most of the tournament as well. And I think, you know, Cobb is around 34 years old. Well, he might have just turned 34 um, actually the 28th a day or two ago from when you're watching this. And then Welcher is uh, around my age. He turned 30 early last season. He'll turn 31 in about two months. So very similar ages, similar styles. And yeah, like you said, they might, this might be the epiphany for fantasy fishing of when we think of Brandon Cobb as a pick and he is 50% picked, we could slide over to Welcher because they do fish, but like, you know what I'm saying? And like Welcher's an 8% pick or vice versa. And we're like, Actually, if this is a John Cox event, there's really not many other people that we could say is like John Cox. But with those two, you could just replace one for the other, and that might be a good – if I'm thinking one guy, no offense, I got to switch and maybe go to the other guy just because last year uh, we did so. Not bad. I just never knew if I was going to have a good one or not. Um, But, Kyle, we've got um, Mr. Welcher, the 2023 Angler of the Year for the Elite Series, waiting in the wings – Let's go ahead and add him to the uh, podcast today so we get to talk to the man himself about his fantastic 2023 season. Kyle, like we said... We, it's the Kyle and Kyle show, and I'm just hanging along as the third wheel today. Kyle Welcher, our Bassmaster Angler of the Year. I promise you, we said this already in the podcast, Kyle. We have not waited till the end of December because we had better things to do. We just knew how busy you were after all the podcasts, the week after the AOI, all those things. And then we've got some opens to talk about that, hey, we're going to let you go through becoming a dad and uh, you know detoxing from the podcast to kind of get – A look back on the season at how good you are so appreciate you joining us today man i hope your off season's
2: going well yeah you know it's going phenomenal and i know you called it the kyle and kyle show but everybody knows ronnie's the star of the show we're all no everybody knows it but yeah it's definitely been a little bit of a break we've actually had kind of a kind of a cool down in the past really two weeks but now it's right back hardcore getting everything ready you know boat rigged all that stuff for next year so if you would waited a little bit longer would have been in the next season already, you know? <laughs> no doubt about it. And Kyle, I'm just going to go ahead and ask.
0: Is there any big bombshell changes for Kyle Welcher for 2024 for the positive that you would love to drop in the podcast? Just feel free. You can make any announcements you want because we know that obviously there are some, some guys who go radio silent and we're like something big's about to happen. You're looking at their hoodies to see if there's a logo that's not been there and you're looking at toboggans. And so if there's anything you want to announce, feel free. You got, we got 45 minutes.
2: You can talk about whatever. There's no, nothing huge that uh I, I can announce today so we got some stuff scheduled to announce in a couple <laughs> weeks though okay. and but it's not it's not anything that's gonna completely change the way that i fish or anything like that you know so i mean but we, there is one really really cool change that i'm pretty excited about but january the 15th that's supposed to be announced and that's moving to tesla for your tow, tow vehicle
1: or something crazy <laughs> yeah
2: <like I> imagine. <laughs> cyber the, truck the, baby the, cyber truck that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is i really i love pulling a boat 270 miles and finding a charging station that's what i'm looking forward to the most for next year well that's Kyle, nice. I, I already hinted this
1: towards ronnie uh off off the uh podcast but you and i had a conversation at the uh st lawrence river i told you one of the first things i noticed for whatever reason when you caught your 10 pounder at st john's seemingly like forever ago is you were you were rocking some jordans some some J's, and i was like I was like dude's got some style and then i noticed you were wearing the same exact shoes in this <laughs> tournament. what well, I guess two or three years later at the the St. Lawrence River, and I have four compl- years later. Four years later. Okay, yeah. I, I've completely forgot about it, but I've still got your kicks because I told you, I told you I had some shoes for you. So yeah. we, we got to make a deal here. As long as we can come shoot some content with you sometime in January, I'll bring the shoes and and we'll we'll do a cl- clean swap.
2: Uh, absolutely. But okay, so now I have to retract. That is the big announcement for next year right there. Like that is the, (laughs) that is the biggest momentum piece for next year. Like everybody just witnessed me finding out about it too. But I, so I remember that conversation we had and I kind of forgot about it, but those are a welcome sight. Those shoes have been, I mean, they're, they're battered. Like it's, it's terrible. Cause whenever you're fishing, like when you get in a boat, and you're on a dock and stuff, like the shoes look pristine, they look good. But when you get behind the stage, it's sloshy and mucky like it is not a place for nice shoes like i should if i was smart four years ago i would have took those shoes off every day and put boots on to go weigh my fish in like that's that's what we really should have done to preserve the shoes
0: it's a complete swamp (laughs) behind the stage for sure you gotta social distance your sneakers from the weigh-in tanks and, and just stay as far away but hey kyle be sure if you do the swap and he's the first Jordan brand athlete we've got on the Bassmaster Elite Series. When you do the swap, you got to get the old ones signed, and we got to make like a Bass Fishing Hall of Fame so that when Kyle gets inducted, we've got his 10-pound shoes, his AOI (laughs) shoes, and he starts fresh. So we'll have to do that.
2: I'm definitely going to – I don't know if I'd want to give him up, though, because I (laughs) want to put him in like a shadow box myself and set the AOI trophy on top of him. Because, and I I know the shoes don't make a difference, but we did hype it up a lot this year about the shoes on my YouTube and stuff. So, I mean, it it is a really, really cool piece. Some old busted up Jordans are talked about that much. It's pretty amazing.
0: Well, one thing you just mentioned there was your YouTube. And so I've got a question for Kyle Welcher. What's the off season been like as you're the guy who's the grinder 350 out of 360 days a year, you're on the water and you're making YouTube content. This offseason's been different. You're the the hottest man in fishing as the AOI of the Bassmaster Elite series, which you deemed in your sound bites as the most important award to you to win compared if you're comparing the classic or an elite event to uh, the angler of the year title so you win aoy and you're busy with interviews there sponsors may want you here or there you're doing new deals or whatever the case may be and then also you became a dad in october and so what's your off-season of fishing been like thank god you used last off-season to fine-tune your forward-facing sonar skills
2: so you didn't have to do it this off-season so the first thing is the i'll put the off-season in quotations <laughs> because there is no off-season. That's like we go to a tournament and we had an off day before. That, that day is anything but off. Like, it is – you're all hands on deck trying to get everything ready. And that's kind of how I treat all the off-seasons. Is like as soon as our schedule comes out, like the, the real off-season for me is between the last tournament and the schedule being released. After the schedule is released, there's nothing off about it for the rest of the year because, you know, your wheels are just turning. Everything is like geared towards – to lead a bend you know that's, that's just how that's just the natural progression whenever you're super super competitive but the youtube channel has slacked off quite a bit this year and that is 100 because you know we, we had a baby and my, my wife i mean she's absolutely the rock like she travels with me last year and had a bad year you know she feels it she's there for, for for the roller coaster just as much as i am but it's probably even worse because it's she's not in control of what happens on the water, you know? So she's all in emotionally just as much as I am, but she doesn't have that feeling of being able to kind of control your own destiny, which is the best we can do in bass fishing. is kind of control your own destiny, you know? So she, a lot of times fishing local tournaments with me and films and all that type of stuff. And this year, obviously she wasn't able to do that near as much. And in the off season hasn't been doing it either near as much. And I, I, honestly just haven't picked up the slack on my end like i should have like it's all on me but i wouldn't trade it like it's been awesome like it's been so so different for me that you know there's a little baby that depends on you that you know every time you come home or all day long like he can't do anything without us you know so it's just a it's it's kind of it's different for me too because i'm a i'm kind of a fast-paced Go, 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 go. Like, don't stop. Like, I might wake up tomorrow and be like, Hey, I think the poker's good in Miami. Like, let's go, you <laughs> know. Like, and I, I've done that a ton in my life where you just, like, I'll just wake up with no plan at all. And me and Hunter will be like, Hey, you want to ride down to wherever or go to, you know, late, Lake Charles in Louisiana? And like, we'll just go. So for me, it's a lot different because there's something else to think about all the time. But I, it's definitely, it's definitely better this way. Like, that's 100%.
0: I'll say this, Kyle. I think that LeBron has has made this known as being a professional athlete and wants to play with his son, and he's getting to year 20. It's hard to, as a 40-year-old NBA player to stay out there. I'm thinking when Kyle turns 50, you know, his baby boy will be 20. I think that you could both be on the Elite Series at the same time or, you know, both pull up to the poker table as your retirement
2: and his break into the, you know, the World Series of Poker. Either way. Yeah, it just depends which path he wants to take, and it also depends – how complicated the technology gets by the end because if it gets any more complicated than it is now by the time i'm 50 i won't know how to work it
1: well that's that's bad news for you but the good news is for him by the time he's like 16 that'll be like the average age of qualification for the elite <laughs> yeah. you have a driver's license like you can make the elites <laughs> pretty absolutely much, pretty much the way it's worked but uh kyle you kind of mentioned it let's i just want to take like a a bird's eye view here because you know, when you came onto the Elite Series, you were one of the hottest commodities. People were like, This guy's a freaking mastermind of his craft. Obviously, we'll get into some of that uh, further down the road. But then you hit kind of a roadblock last year and didn't have didn't have your best year. What was that like yeah. at the end of last year coming into this season, which I guess 2023? Um, you know, what was that like for you? Obviously, you're a super well thought out guy. Like, what was that like dealing, you know, as a competitor, dealing with that during
2: uh, last year's offseason? So, for for me, I I like to really reflect. Like, that's what I do, and that's one of the good things about filming a lot. And now everybody films. I don't know if they utilize the, the content they film to the best of their ability, but everybody films now. We all have to have GoPros. And, I mean, after last year, I don't know how many hours I spent watching myself fish because it's like, you know, Did I do something wrong? Did I get rushed? Like, I got fish in my head that I lost. I don't dwell over them, but I just think back to this day where a lot of stuff went wrong. Let's go see what was wrong with this. Was it the tempo? You know, all all this type of stuff. So, for me, that was a big thing last year, Was just kind of reflect and then realize kind of what it takes for me to stay focused for eight hours. Because, like, everybody talks about confidence. Everybody talks about focus. But those are two very, very fluid things. And if you're not constantly getting those two things back, that they, they, they go away, you know? And that's kind of one of the things that I had to reflect on was how to keep me completely focused and dialed in for eight hours. And I realized that, and I, it's something that, it, it's kind of a mistakes that I've learned time and time again, but that's kind of how it was when I played poker. It's like, like whenever you win and win and win and win, it's like, there's a doom switch coming. Like it's coming. Like some bad stuff is going to happen eventually. And it's almost like you need that bad stuff to happen, to put you in check and be like, this is why we work hard and we cross our T's and dot our I's right here is because when you don't and you start to slack, stuff like this happens instantly. And I'm not saying that I slack last year. I actually feel like my second year, I made worse decisions on the water than last year. In my second year, I still made the classic, had a had a pretty good year. But I felt like that year, I made a lot of really, really bad decisions. You know, not like every single day, but I can think back to a handful that was just terrible decisions. And then you just get bailed out, you know, like because that happens in fishing. Like you can go make bad decisions for six hours of the day and then have a crazy two hours and be in fifth. You know, like that's how it works in fishing sometimes. So I felt like my second year I made worse decisions and I made better decisions the third year. I just had some small little issues with the tempo that I was trying to break down these lakes during the tournament because practice doesn't play that often. Like this year, my practice was like spot on every single time. And that's the difference. But my first, second, and third year, I had to adjust from practice. And and the third year, I was really trying to shortcut it a little too much instead of trying to find an area and then develop a pattern that way. Like, like the, the way that you find patterns is you get in a productive area, you fish through the area, and then after you've had four or five, six bites, you start to put a pattern together. Well, I my third year, I was really trying to shortcut it and jump from pattern to pattern to pattern to pattern, and and that doesn't happen until you have fished and, de- and developed the pattern. Like like it doesn't, it just don't work like that. Like you can't go out here and say I'm gonna run six different patterns. Like that's not that's not a thing. And I feel like that's what I was doing as a lot as I had a bad tempo my third year. So I really tried to rein that in and get a plan and go into Okeechobee. Like that kind of set the pace for the year because instantly on Okeechobee, I started catching them early and I've never caught fish early and like almost never in my in my entire life. Like I don't catch them before like 11 o'clock ever. <laughs> and on, Okecho- on Okeechobee, I did. And on Seminole, I did. But then I, but then I, on like Murray, I, I didn't hardly catch any early. But, and it's not that I catch my whole bag early. You just start to be productive early in the day and you don't have a wasted ha- half a day that I normally have trying to figure it out. So the tempo kind of started off where I was fishing really, really calm and just really fishing for one fish at a time. Whereas last year, I felt like I was trying to, to unlock the magic code all the time. And that's really not how you do it. You really got to kind of nickel and dime them. And throughout the course of a year, after you do that, you know, you just pick up three points here, 15 points here, and then you, and then you, you make the classic easily. And that's not what I did last year. Last year, I felt like I really forced the issue way too much. It's
0: funny that you say that because, like, you talked about momentum, keeping good decisions rolling. We rarely see one angler. You know, somebody, everybody's going to slip up in an event. But in 2022, we had Brandon Lester made every single top 50, uh, all nine. Then this year we had the same thing, but it was you and Stetson Blaylock, which to me was so crazy is gaining those 15 or 20 points here or there is the difference in first and tenth. It's not like he was fourth or third or, or whatever. He finished 10th in AOI, making every single top 50 because he never really had those 6th to 19th place finishes. You know, the in the top 10 or inside the top 25, had a bunch of those 26th to 50th finishes. For you, you had seven top 25s and a couple 40s mixed in there as well. Were there some of those moments? I know that uh, St. Clair was a survival deal for you on day one of that tournament, and then Champlain— the whole reason you could win AOY because was how good your day two was there. So were there some key moments where you're like, this has gone to plan, but these guys have brought it and the weights are a lot higher and I got to up the plan the next day. Like everything went well like I thought, but I am not in the top 20 or top 30 like I expect. I got to bring it up a notch. And if so, what decisions were made specifically that you remember from some of those tournaments where you
2: did need to, I got to gain 15 points today. So the the biggest, the biggest decision, you know, the chase for AOI, I wanted it from the beginning and I knew it was possible from the first tournament and you know, like that's what you plan for and that's what you want to happen, but it didn't really feel like I was in control of winning AOI until after St. Clair, after St. Clair, you could kind of see the recipe with only two tournaments left. Like, and I didn't know, like, like, it might have would have took two top tens or it might could have took two top forties. You know, like you really don't know what it's going to take with two left, but that's, that was kind of the the pivotal moment where I felt like it it could actually happen if I just execute. But day one of Champlain was a disaster. I got super rushed. I had way too good of a practice. And that's kind of one of those things where like day, day one of Champlain, I'm pulling up the spots and like, I caught some three pounders. Right. But like I catch a three pounder and I'm like, ah, that, that ain't no good. You know, so I throw it in the live well, but then I'm like moving, catch another three pounder. That ain't no good. Well then I start running places and I ran all these little spots. Like I said, trying to, I, I was just d- trying to do too much. I wasn't selling down in the area and they one a Champlain. I just felt like a fish terrible. Uh, I, I still had the bites to do pretty well, but, I, I just didn't make good decisions. Like on Champlain, losing a four-pounder don't make or break your day. Like it's not supposed to. Like losing a four-pounder is supposed to be the difference in having 19 and a half and 20. Like that's that's how important a four-pounder is on Champlain. Like it's a four-pounder on Lay Lake bumps you up 20 spots. A four-pounder on Champlain, like it, at the end of the day, should be like a half a pound or a pound. So I wasn't catching them good, good enough on day one anyways, because I fished too fast. But the off day for Champlain – I really think that was the reset that I needed. I really don't know if I went AOI without that day getting canceled. Because after day one of Champlain, I was just not happy. Like, I was so frustrated at how I had fished and the decisions that I had made in my execution that I really feel like if I had to blast off 10 hours later, I don't know if I could have got that out. Yeah, I don't know if I could have got that frustration out in time. And made the correct adjustments going into day two now i had already reflected and had a plan for how i was going to expand in my area but i really feel like that off day was kind of the settling down point point. and then on on the day two of champlain i go out there and i fish and i don't even know if i have a bass at like 10 30. like i don't think i have anything and i'm in this area and i'm like i know the fish are here like i, I caught to me i'm here in practice there's other boats fishing around me that did really really well but I was, I was a bad boat number the first day and I couldn't get on the, my best stuff, which nobody, everybody found like 75 pros found, found the exact same, like 50 yard stretch. Like, that's just how it's going to be whenever you, like when you find the best spot in the most known area, you better be boat one. Like, cause you, you just don't even expect. To or get don't there,
0: you know? tell your roommates because then everyone that, knows.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Because they got buddies. Everybody's got buddies they talk to. So at like 10 30 i get on this spot and i'm like man there's i know there's fish here so i just drop the trolling motor and i troll for like 35 minutes and that's you know you cover a a lot of water in 35 minutes and finally i I saw like four on four face sonar and i catch a big one so i troll like 10 feet and then there's like more and then there's just like a ton that they had just the wind had changed directions and it's a pretty complicated spot but because of there was a wind there was some wind current and they were they were on the inside of this little wind current eddy and as soon as i found that they had moved further down to like this sparse grass and rock i i mean i just smashed them for the re- whole whole rest of the day but i feel like if i would have been as frustrated as i was after weighing in on day one i don't think i would have been able to just drop the trolling on fish for that long so it really that was the turning point for me i felt like that is that is the moment where it, it all changed and actually became possible after that day. And I, I said it at the even of the off day. Like, the morning of the off day, I was super frustrated. And the even of the off day, I kind of got it out, and I was calm, and everything was good. And I was like, I'm I'm going to catch 20 twice. Like, we're on Champlain. Like, every day of practice, 20 was, like, so easy. So I'm going to catch 20 twice, and I'll come in, like, 30th, and it'll be good. And that's what I told my my wife and my dad. And then it worked out. I went out there the next day, caught 21 comfortably inside the cut. And then day three was kind of after 16 and a half on day one, day three was kind of just like fun and went out there and caught them good again. But it was just, I got rushed. It's the only time all year that I got rushed was day one of, of Champlain, you know, and that's kind of, without that, without the wind blowing, I don't think I would have been able to catch them that good on day two. Like it blew, it blew hard enough to cancel it and, I guess I need to thank Lisa for that. Maybe just send her a Christmas card.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, I'll say this. I'm talking to Kyle Jesse. We got to see on Bassmaster Live your rushed day. We even got to see because we put a camera in the boat. I'm so glad that you didn't attribute your bad day one to having a camera in the boat because we got to see it go down. And you actually pulled up at one point, Brandon Cobb, and you were in. like I could see you out in front of him. And we put you in a two-box and we could see him out in front of you, like not super close, but but within the same region. And he catches a four-pounder, and like next thing we know, you pull the troll motor up and you're gone. I'm like, I don't even know if Kyle saw that, but I did not see you were you're like, you were you got you were in the same areas, and we we're like, that's just fishing. Somebody catches a three, somebody catches a four, and and man, you got to be off to the next one. And so that was great to hear that because that was truly the day. Like you at Sabine. Was the slip up for Brandon Cobb? He drops, he's in the bottom 10 of the event. You finish top 10 of the event. You come from third or fourth in points, way back, over 50 points back. Now you're in the lead by 15 or 20. He passes you at St. Clair, even though you made the the cut for day three. He got a top 25, I think. So he beat you by 20 points there. He's got the lead at Champlain. You take it back by just seven points going in the final one. Like, I'm glad you were confident in it because I had no idea out of all the large mouth hammers that were at the top of AOI, who was going to catch them at the St. Lawrence? And we were like, it's going to be the game of who plays it safe or who goes for it. And you went for it at the final event of the season, which was a huge decision, decision for you probably uh, given the forecast as well.
2: So I felt like it was no decision like that. Like when you go to St. Lawrence, like this year is going to be different because it's a long <laughs> ride, you know, but, <laughs> When you put in that close to the lake, it just it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like what happens? You just have to go out there. Like they just get bigger, you know. Like that's just when you go like I weighed in a six pounder on St. Lawrence. Like last year I caught big fish of the tournament. It was like a six twelve or something. And this year I weighed in like two over six and a half. You know, it's like those in the river, those just are unicorns, but on the lake, it's like It's a big one, you know, but they're just way, way, way more common out there. So I went in that tournament. I practiced for two days. And, you know, we had two days of practice, two days in the lake the entire time. I actually practiced for day one getting canceled. I was practicing for the wind direction of day two. And they texted us halfway through like day two of practice. And they were like, they told us the plan is to go. Like the forecast has not changed. We're planning on going. And right then <laughs> I got that text and I pulled my trolling motor up and I'm idling, looking at the map and, you know, looking at apps on my phone and stuff that, you know, have topographical maps and stuff. And I'm trying to figure out which way the wind's going to go for day one. Cause I hadn't even thought about it. And cause I just assumed we weren't going. So I literally find a place that I feel like will be protected if I can get there and I just go and I start fishing and the fourth or fifth spot, I, I i hit there i actually caught two really really nice ones and that's pretty much where i fished the entire tournament so literally i was not even practicing for day one and then it ended up where i got that text and i went and found it but when you was talking about Cobb catching that four pounder that's actually one of the spots i was talking about i think i caught like a a three and like a 260 right there and i was in a big school of them that were swimming around but I like, these are little ones so i pull the troll motor up and and i leave because but you mill around and you catch a three and a half and another three. You know, now you got 17 or 18 pounds. You need one more bite and you are good. And I remember that exact moment where there's a lot of boats around and I caught two that were like small and I just pulled the trumper up and kept running because I thought
0: embarrassed. I gotta I gotta they can't see me with these bass. I gotta get out of here.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right on Champlain. But St. Lawrence was definitely the that's the one everybody ta- everybody talks about because that's like the the gutsy call. But, like, everybody that knows the St. Lawrence, the best, like, they went. Like, everybody, everybody that was in contention to to try to win the event, they, they went except for Patrick. But everybody can't catch 25 pounds in the river, only Patrick. It seems like, well, you know, like. And you and Cobb were still necking. I think, I think the whole
0: decision was, like, I said, when we we're picking cameras, I said, I'm going to put a camera in Cobb's boat every day that he's still in the AOI race. Like, every day. And he's, like, top 12 after day one. He's top 20 after day two. I'm like no one's going away. Like if someone breaks down the AOI is going to flip and you did, but it was after you clinched it going into
2: day four. And I'm like, Holy, what if this happened day three? Oh my gosh. Well, it it actually happened day two, but I drove like 35 miles an hour the rest of the day. Like it happened on the way. Like I was like 30 miles into the run oh, on, on, day, on day two. And I, but the, day one, I beat the stuff up, you know, like it was bad, like really, really bad on day one. I went, I don't know if anybody else went even close to as far as I went <laughs> through the lake that day, but like day two is when the issue started happening. And I took it to the, I went to the service yard on day three, uh, the day night of day two, and and th- they replaced some things and tightened some things up. And then on day three had no problems at all. But then obviously on day four had the major breakdown and, you know, that was, it was a loose ground wire and that's from, or it was a loose ground and that it has to be from me, you know, like taking that thing through lake, um, I mean, ways that a bass boat is not designed to be drove through, you know.
0: But eight footers is our group chat would say, Kyle. Eight, eight footers.
2: Yeah. Hey, if them suckers was in Alabama, everybody would swear they were tsunamis. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure
1: every time I see on TikTok, like, the North Sea videos, all I think about is, like, the worst days I've ever had in Ontario. It's like, eh, it's not any worse than that. I think if Welcher's
0: I, over there somewhere, and you're you're trying yeah. to, like, trying to see – is that a boat? Is that a guy? The, a
1: whole, the whole time Kyle's been bringing up the St. Lawrence, I didn't know we'd get to it this quick, but I got to cover him, I guess, three of the four days. The only day we didn't is because we decided – we made a business decision the first day to not go out there. But, like, that was just, you know – Naturally, you're with your boat driver and he's getting paid a, a a day rate, regardless if we go ten yards from the ramp or you know, thirty miles. And every time I'm like, Yeah, he's just right over there. Right over there is thirty miles away. Oh so yeah. we're yeah. close to him, but you just keep driving and keep driving and hope he doesn't look over at you mad because we're driving the freaking across the country, but across uh, two one- countries.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a good
1: point. Good point. Uh one thing I was gonna ask. So you talked about at St. Clair it was like when you kind of determined it was, it was really a, a possibility um, after that tournament, it seems like like the way your mind works seems like there's no way you could just like ignore the fact that you were in the AOI race. Like you see like Paul and guys do in the past. What was like your goal? Like, I mean, consciously all you can do is go out there and have your best day for as many days as you can. But like, did you have a goal in mind, like finishing the top X number, like for two tournaments in a row and, to see what happens or like what what was kind of your goal heading into the final two events
2: so I've never kind of been like that like I don't think you can say like tomorrow I need to go catch like 19 pounds because it just doesn't to me now on Champlain is different because there's so many like it's so 19 pounds is like so easy to get to there and, and I went in 16 on day one which is <laughs> embarrassing but anyways so like on (laughs) champagne i should have been probably (laughs) but so i don't think you can really you can't control enough of the sport to say like i want to go come in at least top 25 like like you just can't so for me it's just make consistently good decisions and you know stay productive that's what i always say is you just stay productive and that's kind of the way that I've, i've been ever since i joined the elites you know it's like just go do the best that you can every single day and I mean if it works out and you come in the top 10 that's great and if it and if it doesn't I mean you still you did the best you could do for what you found in practice and what you kind of understood about you know the, the tournament so for me you really you, you really can't you know try to you know control enough to do that sure there was another part of the question that I can't I, I forgot what it was. Oh I think I think that was it. I the
1: yeah. one thing I was going to add too to the Saint Lawrence aspect of it. Have you went back and watched like the
2: live footage from those two like the first couple of days? I did I have watched some uh some clips of it. I haven't watched the like full thing but I've seen like obviously bass has posted a lot of them, you know, after the tournament of me catching them and there's been played a bunch of times. So I I've, I've seen quite a quite a bit enough to know I should have had a, a front seat up. Well, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. thing that was that was craziest and Ronnie can attest to this, too, because I, I,
1: I obviously was out there with with you. But, um, you know, if if we didn't have cameras in your boat and Brandon's boat and we'd have told, you know, the fans where everybody was at, like where you guys were at two or three hours into the day, you'd have thought we were making it up because it was like it was back and forth. Uh, yeah. and Ronnie, I don't know what times it was, but it was like from basically start to finish it was back and forth and back and forth and it almost seemed made up so I was just curious if 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 you went back and paid any attention to that
2: so I had somebody tell me that while I was driving before I ever got to my spot Cobb had like 22 or 23 on on bass or 20 or 21 or something on bass track like instantly before I'd ever even got out there you know so
0: Someone's right. Sure. Are you talking about? They're writing like on a cardboard, like a, a marshal for another boat, and he's like driving, <laughs> holding it beside you guys in the waves. Like Cobb's got twenty-two. Is that what it
2: anybody, was? <laughs> anybody that's that committed to telling you something, they deserve it. But uh, that that was that was after the fact. Whenever everybody was talking about it, oh, oh, and yeah. talking about you know the gutsy call, and they're like, you know, while while it was happening, everybody was like, man, he's crazy. Like <laughs> you could have just went wherever Cobb went and caught twenty-two pounds quick, but. I, I never second guessed it. I, I, I'm glad I didn't know because I was already like, by the time I got there and I fit after I got there, I fished for like 25 minutes and never even saw a bass. Like didn't get a bite, nothing. Like I was like, Oh God. And then I, and then I made the right drift and then it was just complete. It was like when, when you got around them, it was just completely different, but I'm glad I didn't know how, how close it was at, at the time because that'd been even more pressure after that you know, hour and 45 minutes of just banging in waves. So
0: it's early. It's almost the calendar year before it. I guess it's like at least nine months. You could, you could, you know, start the process of having a baby and it would be delivered by the time we're at the St. Lawrence next year. So that's how far it is out right now. But (laughs) uh, have you thought how many of the 103 Elite Series pros will go into the lake for that event out of the 103 um, from Waddington, have you, do you think? I mean, because you think about it, maybe guys who are in the AOI race that, that got to try it. Some might play it safe. You got the guys who got to hail Mary it to try to make the classic, or you got you got all kinds of different situations. So have you thought of uh, 75, 80 out of
2: 103, you're going to try to do it, or is it 50? Over the course of two days, I bet it's really close to 70. So, I mean, just from the beginning, everybody who's in like 65th to one hundred and three on day two has to go like, it's not, it's not even a discussion, you know? So, and then like, and then probably over half of the people that are above that went, you know? So I would assume over the course of two of the entire tournament, they will be, I mean, and then like, if you fish in the river and you, you're in 49th, why not just send it on down there? You know, like, like, so <laughs> I, I mean, it, it could be more than 70, but dude, that's, I've made that run before two years ago or when it last time went out of waddington i made that run and i didn't make it on day two and that's the worst it's the worst decision i've ever made the bass tournament was not going on day two because i caught them pretty good on day one i i had two dead ones and i still had like 18 pounds but like day two i didn't go and i i have no idea why like if i could if i could go back i would slap the crap out of me you know but i didn't go and i got i just don't think i'll ever do that again
0: well, like, going to the spot that you went to this year, you'll have to get gas twice. You'll have to get gas before you get to the yep. lake
2: and then after you, no doubt, probably, right? Yeah, you have to get gas twice. And if it blows at all, like, you just...
0: <laughs> there you go, you'll you have, got like, three hours to fish.
2: <laughs> if that, like, I, that's going to be tough, man. That's going to be really tough. I, I don't think... I'm hoping, like four of us go you know but like even even two even last time I went out of Washington like when i came back in to get gas there was a line. like a ton of people went even last time we went and and people were still skeptical you know about if the lake was that dominant then still like half the field was like oh you stay in the river and catch 18 or 19 pounds well you still can but that's no good anymore you know like no good at all so i don't know i I wish like four of us would go and I wouldn't have to go try to find anything sneaky. You could just catch them off the yeah. most obvious community hole stuff. that's right there at the mouth, but if a lot of boats go. That so it's covered up. So Welcher just
0: wants Chris and Corey Johnson and Cooper Gallant to be the ones to go with him. That's the only people who would go. because Our preview I, for the St. Lawrence, Kyle, Jesse, if you remember, Coop Gallant said, if I have two hours to fish the lake versus eight hours in the river, I'm going to the lake. And so that was like, Whoa.
2: If I could pick the four, I wouldn't pick them three. Yeah, that exactly. Right now. exactly.
0: No <laughs> doubt. I just know that they're already going. So you may have like 10 at least, you know. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, we'll probably have over half the field. We might as well just move it to Clayton. <laughs>
0: it'll, it'll, it will be interesting though. Yes, there's more weight out in the lake most of the time, but with half the time or even less than half the time to fish it could the could the river compete? Because the river will put them out, but most of the time it's you fish all day for it, and there you can get it done quicker. But with a lot of variables of weather, uh, me and Kyle Jesse have talked about this a bit, of like you could see some, uh, some river guys stay in contention because the guys has got, you know, eight hours to fish for four days of competition compared to 32
2: hours, you know? I caught two really, really good ones in the river this year just cause I had made the run back and had like 20 minutes to fish. And I think on day, day three, I caught like a five pounder. And on day four, I caught like a four and three quarter. And they were not even close to where I thought they would be. And on, on day three, I already had, I had like 27 pounds, you know, so I, or 27 something. So I'm just like fishing. I can see, I can see it. So I'm like just fishing around some. Ned and I'm rig's not even close. hitting the
0: bottom. His Ned rig's not, it's like mid water column. <laughs> yeah. It's not, even.
2: I'm like, I'm not even fishing where I think they should be, relating to the current, and I catch a five pounder. So I come in on day four, and I go to another spot that's very similar to that. It's like goes completely against the way people would traditionally fish the river, and I caught another really big one. So I think with the forward facing sonar, there's there's some things in that river that is different. And I'm sure some people have already figured it out, but it really feels like if you could figure that out, you could probably stay in the river and not do the traditional river stuff and and catch a really good bag out there. But I'll let someone else try that. I'm going to the lake.
1: <laughs> you mentioned, you know, a couple of years ago, not going to the lake on day two being one of your worst decisions. Uh, <laughs> granted, when you win the AOI, you, you can't really complain too much, but if you could do over one decision, one day, one
2: tournament, what would it be throughout the the last season? Probably pro- – I mean, I would, I would say Santee, but I had boat problems in that one, so I didn't get to fish, like, over half of day three. So – but I did make some bad decisions on day two, but, like, I mean, St. Clair was one of those where – I mean, I fished really, really close to Sapuentes, like a good chunk of that tournament. Not, not like within 100 yards, but like, you know, a quarter of a mile away from him. And I had found some really, really big ones out there, and I caught some big ones out there in the tournament. But I just didn't spend enough time doing it. And I feel like I, I feel like St. Clair was one of those where I spent a lot of time fishing for the wrong grade of fish. Like, I just – I should have spent more time in the – in the small areas that I had found that not small areas, but you know, I should have concentrated down to where I got the biggest bites and really milled around more. And that's not what I did on St. Clair. St. Clair was kind of one of those ones where I fish kind of fast there too, but I feel like it's more justifiable on St. Clair because when you get around them, like they just like, you'll be trolling and you'll just see like a couple and you'll see like, you know, 10 every 20 minutes or something. And then all of a sudden they're everywhere like everywhere you look, there's just bass, you know, and that's kind of what I was looking for. And I found it. I just didn't find it with the right size fish, but St. Clair was St. Clair was bad decisions. And then day, day two of Santee, I made some pretty bad decisions also.
0: We got to see that day on Bassmaster live as well. Cause you were, you did so well day one, we got to see you on day two there. Um, so Kyle, now that we, we compare the classic and AOI as like huge awards that are, you know, career shaping for an angler Anglers respect <clears throat> the heck out of you for winning AOI. The world respects the heck out of you for winning the Classic. Obviously, the world respects both of them, but like the Classic is something that's like a boom, big shot in the arm. It's humongous momentum, whereas the AOI is like the, the taper down of the year, and you can finally breathe because it's over. What were those few days after the, or after the AOI clinching day like for you? Obviously – the final day of the event at St. Lawrence could be stress-free, but then you had all those issues that you still wanted to win the event. You still wanted to win uh, or get a century club belt, which I still think we should have gave one honorary for the four ounces. And you (laughs) only got to fish for like an hour. I was like, dang, dude, just go in the river an hour earlier and catch one more of those random dumb ones and and you'll be good. But so the culmination of the whole season the stress is off after the day three weigh and you win AOI. What were those next few days like for you to kind <clears> of <throat> soak it in, reflect, and also just know that the industry, like, you won one of the major awards that a lot of really great anglers have
2: never or will never win? It was it was really cool, you know, for me to to, I mean, just hear from my sponsors and other people in the industry and stuff like that that just called. And, I mean, everybody was just super – pumped and proud proud for me you know and it was like th- that next week was really kind of kind of sombering r- really like it there's so many emotions throughout throughout the season and like I knew it was a, a real possibility after you know St. Clair but like I had been thinking about it since we strung together two good ones at the beginning of the year you know like at, at, whenever they asked us to pick AOI I picked myself you know but that's like that's just what you do. Like, that's just being, you know, that's what everybody should do. But, you know, I've been thinking about something for literally like eight or nine months straight, basically thinking about getting to this moment, not, not even knowing that it most likely wouldn't even come out like that, you know? And then after it happened, it was just kind of, it was kind of unbelievable, you know, like me and my wife had the trophy and we're like, it's kind of weird we got this thing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it is like super weird right now. But, I mean, that was just the the coolest part about it was everybody reaching out and how much everybody, you know, kind of like you said, respects it. And you know, everybody was super proud of me and stuff like that. But it, I mean, it's exactly what you said. The classic would be a bigger shot in the arm. Like it, it makes it just elevates you so much faster because the classic is a moment. Like there is a moment that everybody can remember on the stage whenever somebody wins or like, you know. I had to walk off very last. That's not that's not a good moment. But you know, there's a moment that people can associate with you for the classic. And AOI is not really like that. There's like a body of work. And for people to really respect that body of work, they have to like kind of follow the industry pretty closely. The classic has one of those just mega moments that just even the casual person could say, hey. Kevin Van Dam won the class won won the Bassmaster Classic, the biggest tournament in the world. And even though they don't even know that much about it, that they know that moment and what happened. So, I think that's why it's so powerful. And hopefully, at some point, we'll be able to you know have that moment.
1: Something that that Ronnie and I have talked about a little bit. And I want to get back to the classic because that was something you know we're definitely going to talk about here here in just a minute. But. Um, the one of the most strange things about this season, obviously, I feel like in a lot of ways this was kind of the season of forward facing sonar, uh, just in the sense that you know it's pretty much the major topic that everybody wants to talk about. Yeah. Uh, you take it where you want, but you and Cobb seemingly like almost have the exact same fishing style. Like I mean, yeah. if 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 you just took a tournament out of it, and Ronnie and I just talked about this. You know, I watch enough of your YouTube to know you'd rather be fishing docks and skipping a jig than out there with forward-facing sonar. But two guys that would rather probably not do that had so much success. Like, what what is your theory behind both of you guys uh, having such a good season? You know,
2: beyond just the the way the schedule laid out. Well, beyond the schedule is tough because that's the whole that's the whole reason. You know, but it just comes in. It just it, it's momentum. Like that that's the biggest thing and not second guessing yourself, you know, and like the schedule was so good for me and him, the way we fish that, you know, you go up North with so much momentum and it's almost like, it's almost like whenever you have a bunch of really good tournaments in a row, you just start expecting good things to happen. And when you expect good things to happen, you fish like good things are about to happen. And then more times than not, it just does, you know? So, I still find it kind of weird whenever somebody will comment on a post and be like, "Uh, he couldn't catch him without forward face sonar. You know, I only used it for, you know, the smallmouth tournaments and then Santee. I used and, it in the Sabine I in.
0: river, you know, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wait, I weighed in like one bass on it on late, but other than that, I, it really was a good year for, for throwing the, the swim jig and the frogs and all that type of stuff. But I mean, it's just the biggest thing that is any of it is just the confidence and you know, the, Preparation's a big part of it too you know I think I think Cobb's a really really smart guy and is really good at game planning at least that's what it seems like I, I don't know him super well but like that's that's a big part of going up north is game planning because you, you already know what's going to happen like you right now you can pick the top three baits from next year to St. Lawrence River like right now like today you know so like all it is is about implementation whenever you go up there like it's like finding them in practice and then implementing it and executing it you know and that's and whenever you're fishing really really good, those are the things that come easy to you you know whenever you' whenever you have a lot of momentum.
0: well, I want to dish some stats before we do get to that classic talk, uh, Kyle and put him through the ringer of that memory and future memories. but yeah. when you think about hundred and four anglers on the elite series, you think about how many people have fished the Elite Series and have won AOI in their career. It's a it's an exclusive group. You were in the top five, and I and I go back and I keep stats for all kinds of stuff, but I went back and charted the top five in AOI and the top three in ROI for every event, how much they were behind as the positions changed, how many weeks they spent in the top five. You got to speak, you got to spend seven of your nine events, events three through nine. Those seven events in the top five in points, obviously. Uh, but you started the year 13th, you moved up to sixth in AOI, and then the rest of the year you were no worse than fifth, and in the last four events you were no worse than second in those events. Only 13 Elite Series anglers were able to spend even a week at the end of the week in the top five in AOI. Four of those came in the first event of the season. Obviously, it's everyone else yeah. other than um, – uh, other than Brandon Cobb and Tyler Ravette, who spent uh, a little bit of time in there as well. but So you think about that, 13 anglers all season even got to grace the top five. You got to spend seven weeks or seven events there. Cobb got to spend nine events in the top, and even some other people. I think Drew Cook spent seven of the events in the top five, Tyler Revet, seven, John Cox, three, Carl Jacobson, three. Walters and Sefuentes both had two. And then Shakirit, Winlet, Letuso, Kennedy, and Card all got one week in the top five in AOI. So it's it's like an exclusive group of an exclusive group to be able to spend that time there. Have you had any past AOI winners reach out with any like feedback or just like, good job, congratulate, welcome to the club type of thing? Cause it's super cool to have last year's champion handed off to you, but then to get those texts from guys that you used to fish against or heroes or even guys that still fish on the elite series but they're like dude nine nine out of nine on checks and uh and winning is fantastic
2: yeah so I, I got to talk to polonick behind the stage you know which obviously he's one too which has a whole nother league but <laughs> he uh you know i talked to him behind the stage and then obviously after i had i had one also and i mean he's he's a really really good dude you know talking to him but and I haven't talked to him since the event, but I talked to him there, but Swindle is the main one that, you know, has won a while on the Bassmasters that I've talked to quite a bit in the off And I've talked to him quite a bit in the off season every year, you know, and, and the, ter- during the tournaments and stuff too, I talked to him a lot. So he's the main one that kind of, you know, I've talked to and asked him, Hey man, like how much is this worth? You know, like, what's the deal? Like, how do I, how do I sell this? You know? And cause I, 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 I even though I want it, I still never expected to get a phone call. Like, I know how this industry works. Like you have to sell it to them. Like that's, that's just bass fishing. At least that's that, that side of bass fishing. So he's, he's a really, really smart person to talk to about that side of things, you know? So that's probably the main two that I've really, you know, talked to. I I
0: do have a question about what you just mentioned. I wasn't going to ask this because I, you know, I don't, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but have you thought about the industry, how you can be different. We've seen some anglers not have breakdowns, but just have truth <clears throat> sessions, I guess, to the world and be able to tell their thoughts on it. And it's resulted negatively and positively for those people. For you, you've always just been a put in put in the time, hard work person and almost like I'm going to try to make it without sponsor help. And if that comes, that's awesome. And now it's transitioning to now you almost have a responsibility to be a mentor and to be like somebody who who, you know, can – protect not protect the sport but like hey young man i'm only 30 but this is the way to do it you got to do it like this like don't don't walk up with your hand out walk
2: with your gloves on to do some hard work before you start asking you kind of think. yeah so this is something that we think about a lot and talk about a lot like a, a lot of the people that i talk to like we, we we talk in depth about kind of the the state of the industry and stuff like that and it's like it's such a difficult thing to do to have to to try to give someone else advice because at the end of the day you have to do what's best for you right now but a lot of times that's not what's best for you long term you know so a, a rookie comes in and they might have to take deals with companies they don't really like that's not for a ton of money and then and then promote a company that they're not super super confident in you know and I never wanted to do that. Like I I did it a couple times, but for the most part, I, I shied away from it and, and didn't want to do it. But it's kind of one of those things where it's your job to go to the company, whoever you're talking to, the marketing person, whoever, whatever it may be, it's your job to approach them with a plan to sell their product to people. It's not your job to go say, Hey, I want to be sponsored by y'all. I'll put y'all a sticker and y'all pay me this much. Like that's not, you have to sell product like that's the end of the thing. And every single person has different strengths and different weaknesses as far as sales or, or, you know, value or reach or anything like that. So every single deal and every single person has to have a completely nuanced, you know, packet or whatever they send to people to, and and even for the company it has to be nuanced to, to that exact company. So, I mean, it's, it's very, very hard to mentor people, but, you know, if you really, really get to know somebody and know kind of what work they're doing on the back end, it actually becomes really easy to to kind of help somebody because you can tell them how much value this has and how much value that has to sponsors, you know. But the, it, at the end of the day, it's on them to make that sponsor, you know, a proposal that makes sense for both people, you know, and that's it is tough right now, though. Like it is. It's definitely tough, but it it's, it's out there. It's out there if you're willing to, to go get it. It's not as hopeless
0: as it sounds or seems.
2: It's not, I don't know. It's not, it's not hopeless at all. Like, (laughs) like, like, I I don't know. Like, so there, there's a spectrum here. Like Steve Kennedy wants to show up and fish. Okay. Like that, that's fine. Like I love Steve Kennedy. He is like a hero of mine. You know, Scott Martin wants to promote product and and he also fishes tournaments. Okay. You can't expect to just want to, show up and fish and then get paid like scott martin you know and like like that's just how it is and and it's like there's a whole spectrum there for what people are willing to do for their sponsors and you just kind of got to figure out what you're willing to do on that spectrum and you can't expect to get this kind of money putting in this kind of work but there's also a lot of people talk about reach and you know youtube impressions and stuff like that but like these marketing people are, are, are a lot smarter, smarter than, than this. A lot of times, like you have a TikTok video go viral and gets 8 million views. It don't mean you're all of a sudden worth, you know, 8 million views worth of, of whatever it's about your demographic and how much you can actually push price. That's why these, you see these affiliate links are, are, you know, coming in so much because that really tells you whose social media is valuable because you could get a ton of views from the wrong demographic that's not serious bass fishermen and and it's worthless. Or you could get a thousand views from very, very serious bass fishermen. And it's actually pretty valuable, you know? So there's a big, there's, there's just a lot of moving parts to this, but it's also the companies want people who are passionate about their products, like, you know, telling them, Hey, I really like this aspect, but if this bait was a little bit better at this, like, that's the stuff that, that like, these companies make new products all the time and the product development side of it is extremely valuable to these companies. These product development budgets are, are huge, you know? So that has like that. That's the whole side that nobody even talks about is, is the value of that and how much that helps these companies. Cause the new products get designed by somebody. And now I don't know of a TikToker with a signature bait yet, you know? So, and that's oh, no shame.
0: You just said it. You know? Now there's going to be a, the TikTok edition, you know, flashy swimmers over yeah. here. No, but <laughs> Um, you did mention that and I've always talked to, to young kids or, and just my, you know, I just finished my 10th year covering the sport. Kyle's, I think had like five or six years now covering the sport and we're still relatively young. So we can help tell some younger kids or even middle-aged people, there will be people. And I always laid out this way that make their living with a rod and reel then there will be people in the fishing industry that make their living through social media. But the ones who make their living with both are become legendary or have the chance to be legendary. You think about the brand of politics of the world who, who crushed the social media and the fishing game, yeah. Gerald Swindle, uh, all those people, Jason Christie has seen the, the value of that. Even though Greg Hackney isn't on social media as much as others would want him. He is literally a huge proponent of Louisiana sportsmen. Like, TV shows and and magazines he's he's out there in other ways for his brands Um, And then you obviously have like Scott Martin, these guys who do that. And so there will be examples on each side. I I always say it as a compliment to Carl Jacobson. until Carl could figure out how to catch him consistently on the elite series. He made his living through social media and working his tail off for companies. And then when the fishing came, we now see two classic births in a row for him and he's putting it together both ways. He's got that aspect, you know, cornered now. And if the water results produce like the on land result results do with his personality he has the opportunity to be remembered forever and it's all what you desire right. to do but um and when we think about that I, you were talking about the classic earlier i wanted to transition back to that you talked about and it's just something that i have wanted to mention since you brought it up your wife has to sit here and watch everything and she is has to support and carry the burdens and the i just remember how bad she wanted it for you at the 2022 classic i have to go and wrangle the wives of the winner and the, the not winner at the classic. And I got to take them right by the say we're ready. And if your guy wins, take the flowers up on stage kind of deal. And there's always one wife where I look and I'm like, I- I'm sorry. Like, I don't think you want a hug from me, but like, I, like I'm sorry. Now just wait yep. for your husband to come off. When she <laughs> emphasized, like, I had to leave her alone in the section. I sat beside of her for a minute after I explained that like, hey, we're going to have to do this thing. And I just remember sitting beside of her two or three seats down and she kept looking over and being like, is he going to win Ronnie? And I'm like, dude, I, I have no idea. And I, I can't answer that for you. I, I want him to win for your sake. And so, like I said, no offense, I got to go to a different section. Cause you're making me nervous because I don't know who's going to win either. And I watch live all day. So it's yeah. very cool to see that support system and then to see now the highs of it, where, uh she gets to walk out on stage and hold the trophy with you for AOY which is something you deemed as as very important to you which is cool she'll she'll get her chance at the other one too i believe i like to hear that Kyle
1: well let's talk about it you're going to have an opportunity here in just a few months uh, at, at 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 that exact trophy so um the <laughs> general opening thoughts of uh, Grand Lake well have you fished there before um have you spent any time over there since will you spend any time over there Uh, Just your general thoughts. I've asked you about nine questions here,
2: but what what do you think about Grand Lake in March? So I I have been over there since it's been announced. And uh, that's the first time I've ever seen it. And that's the main thing that I wanted to do is, you know, I'm not a big proponent of pre-practicing, but until you've seen a lake, everything that you think is going to work, like 70% of it's wrong. Like that's just how it's always been. like, Like I go to a lake and I see it on TV and I see the old Bassmaster shows and I'm like, oh, this will work, this will work, this will work. Then you get there and you're like, no, this, this this is way different than I thought it was going to be. The lake sets up different than it looks on TV. So I did go up there and ride around. Grand's kind of one of those where – it's kind of one of those lakes where it's about efficiency. Like it seems like it's one of those like Highland Reservoir, Ozark type of lakes where a big creek could have – you know, could play or a little bit tiny cut could play or, or anywhere on- – on the lake it could have a four or five pounder in it and those are the kind of places where really staying up to date and figuring it out every single day of what will just generate you two or three more bites a day that's kind of what sets you apart on on those types of lakes from from what i can see what i can tell i i wish it was i i'd really like for it to be pre forward facing sonar and fish a lake like that for the classic because i mean that would just that's just like how i love to fish like i just love you know, beating the banks and them shallow docks and all that, the laydowns and all that type of stuff. Like, I would much rather fish fish exactly like that. But I'm assuming with the uh, the advent of all the new technology, it's going to be one a little bit different than it was one the last few times. Well, can't you
0: still do that in theory? And with the way the bank structures are, or with the way the structure is, that you could pick off those additional fish or learn a little bit more about beating the bank or pounding, you know, shallow or cover there with what you notice on forward facing. It's not necessarily that we're going to see a bunch of people, Domeki Rigging or, or moping or dropping on fish out in the middle of the lake, but that, yeah, maybe they don't even cast that rock. Their, their bait's not even hitting a rock or something like that, but don't you think you can, can you ever ride that line or is forward facing sonar one of those things, it's like a frog bite. You got a hundred percent live with it and be okay with dying with it. And you can't, you can't kind of do it. Is that,
2: is that how you see it? Or can you mix it in a little bit? I th- I think you can de- definitely mix it in. Like I usually when we fish for largemouth, I I mix it in, and I don't really commit to it a lot for largemouth because they're just not the same type of fish as spotted bass and smallmouth. Like largemouth, like touching touching something, it seems like <laughs> like spotted bass and smallmouth, they just might be anywhere. So you really, I feel like you can mix it in, but if somebody can can pinpoint where those Pre-spawn females are sitting because that's that's a pattern lake, like hundred percent a pattern lake. I just feel like there's a there's a chance that like if you get on a little deal or you can find the female the females are staging, you can run it, whether it be two foot deep or it be a secondary point they're suspended off of or they're out in the middle like somewhere you know forward facing sonar. Like I, I just I would say if if I didn't see what happened this year at Okeechobee and Seminole, I would feel a little bit differently. You know, like that's, that's kind of the one where I, the, the two where I was like, all right, like probably can't win any other way now, you know?
0: I feel that. I feel that. I, I will say, um, we were just talking about what was that? Kyle, Jesse, go ahead. If you have one, I was just talking about something. And then he brought up the elite series wins early in the year by Ford facing and, and maybe forget what I was going to say, but go ahead. Well, I mean, th- th- my question really doesn't have anything to do with the classics so much as as something
1: we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, the whole time we've been talking about Grand Lake, I'm just imagining Kyle uh, skipping around a uh, an ace jig. Uh, so yep. the, <laughs> that's really all I was gonna I was thinking about. So asking, you know, the product development side of things, you've you've mentioned that previously. Uh, you got a lot of credit from Jacob Wheeler, even with the uh, Crush City baits. You know him given you know asking for your input just because uh that's such a huge part of what you do and what you like to do um what is it like about that side of the industry and baits you know or why are you so passionate about that I guess is kind of the question
2: I really don't know I feel like I've just kind of always been like that like I can remember pouring jigs you know I don't know how long ago 12 13 14 years ago pouring them with a with a little lead pot like pouring them into a little mold a regular archy mold and stuff and the i've always of the cadillac
0: liked... on chickamauga <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was that was before that Even, but <laughs> so w- whenever you get a little bit of input into a bait and you start to really understand what the bait is designed to do it just takes your level of confidence with that bait and and elevates it that much more. So like you love throwing a swim jig, but, but now whenever you get to, you know, shave some stuff off the heads and make the skirt look like this and this hook and the weed guard at this angle. Now you feel like you've got the, the ultimate swim jig, you know, because exactly how you want it to be. So I feel like it just kind of elevates your confidence in every single bait that you get, that you get to do. And then after that and going out and actually, catching fish on it and then catching fish on it and you think it's better than any other bait that's for that same time you know same situation it just it just elevates everything it makes it super super fun but i just i just like it like i like understanding the properties of like salt like you talked about crust city you can take a soft bait and just like remove one property from it and, it and it makes it a terrible bait for this situation but a good bait for this situation you know, so there's certain properties of all of these soft baits that make it optimal for these certain situations, and kind of dial it in. I don't understand it to a hundred percent, even even now, you know. But like just talking about that, thinking about that, you know, objectively, that's what's so interesting. It's like small little things take a bait from being a, you know, vibrating jig trailer to a phenomenal bait for this you know and that that's the stuff to me that's really really cool is why baits excel in certain situations
0: well i think uh, i remember what i was going to say but yeah the and and it's also to me i think it's interesting on that on the bait creation aspect is there are hundreds of types of jigs on the market and you might come out with one that's your signature jig and it's barely different than another one what is going to get that jig bought off the shelf is it the slight change you made to a you know let's just let's just say this if it's a if it's a dirty jig mad heron, flipping jig and then you're altering the shape of the head and that's the only thing you alter and everything else is the same what's going to make a consumer buy that when you put it in your custom jig is it who you are as an angler is it a big fish that you caught on it early and you know on video there's so many different ways of you can create there are some of the best baits ever created for bass fishing that they just stopped producing the molds for some reason i have never understood that how we just stopped making baits because they didn't sell but they are some of the best fish catching baits so balancing making something for the shelf versus making something for the the bass that it's two different things i feel and you got to try to like find the 50 50 in between and then on top of that if you don't
1: mind me adding something to it it's like trying to explain those subtle differences to somebody that, you know, probably in your head, doesn't really understand it.
0: They're seeing this on like, TikTok, trying to yeah, make their like, own.
1: It's a lot. It's a lot to, to, to think about when you're, you're trying to sell something.
2: Yeah. So for me, it's it, I don't really think you can sell something that's a tiny change. Like it has to be a whole entire different system, you know, for the application that you're trying, trying to do like, I, I don't want to make something that's just barely different or, you know, make something that everybody else already has. And then just like, Hey, we need to make one cause everybody else has one. Like that's, that's not what gets you excited. And whenever your company gets to a certain size and a certain amount of brand recognition, then, you know, it is valuable to do that because people trust your company and have confidence in your company. They're going to prefer your product, you know, and you can just make that kind of middle of the road stuff. But like, for me it was everything like, First, first bait that I really got to make that w- was sold, you know, from a legit company, what was the jig? And we changed everything from the angle of the head. Like, we did research on who, like, the the best rock skippers in the world and exactly what angle they're trying to maintain for it to touch the water at. And then we tried to make that jig head be at that exact angle. So that head slopes up at that exact same angle and has a, a very unique shape to it. And then like we put like a super fine cut skirt on it, like all that type of stuff. And then a a little bit smaller, super heavy wire hook, like all that type of stuff made it an an entire package that's easy to talk about. It's not like, hey, it's an Arky style head with a different (laughs) color skirt. We put two strands of blue in there. It's like I'm telling you why this jig skips better. The skirt strands are thinner, so it has less drag. And the hook and the head shape is the best skipping head shape there's ever been ever. So you put a trailer on there that looks like this and it's the best skipping jig there's ever been. And, and I I really believe that, you know, and, and having the passion for it and having the confidence in it myself, that helps, you know, the people believe me whenever I say it, because it's not like, Hey, this is a new thing. It's like, like, look, like I made this, like, it took me a year. And like this thing, like, watch how it skips, you know, that's the kind of stuff that sets it apart for me is explaining the whole package and how all the kind of, parts of the bait work together to make it the optimal bait for the situation.
0: It's very interesting. And the thing I did remember Kyle and Kyle is that Jason Christie, Luke Palmer and Edwin Evers all mentioned when they had successes at Lake Hartwell, how similar lake you fall in Oklahoma and how grand lake little mixtures of both contribute to their success in South Carolina so a plus b equals c Kyle Welcher did good at Hartwell he should do good at grand so just saying like that's a that's what I heard you know and so it it could go well for you there but um Kyle do you have anything else for our AOI champion I feel like we're holding you from fishing are you at a boat ramp in your truck
2: (laughs) I I am at a boat ramp this is the the best service in my entire area is at the boat ramp. And if I, if I put, if I would have put the boat in the water, I, there's no way I could have refrained from making a cast. So I just, <laughs> I just sit here and wait patiently. So I is w- the boat, it, is the boat on the trailer? Or is it in the water right now? No, it's, it's not in the water. It's okay. behind me. The
0: <laughs> but the bunks are it's touching the water, Kyle. It's close. He's close. <laughs> He's been backing I, it up a little bit.
2: <laughs> I'm not that guy that takes up the boat ramp for
0: no reason even if there's bank fishermen at the boat that think you're too fancy for your own good. Um, I will say (laughs) one thing that came out, we don't really know unless, like, it's posted on social media. You got Brandon Cobb and Shane LeHue. You've got um, Gussie and Christy. You've got Brock and Tyler and Hank and all the, like, different roommates and good friends. You've always seemed like more of a loner, yet no one hates Kyle Welcher, so you kind of have a bunch of friends but none that are close it seemed like this year we got a lot more insight to your relationship with Justin Atkins it's not a love interest but it's a love interest but it's a it's a bro series i guess we could say he came and brought you his boat on the final day of the season to try to help you finish out the day when you had boat troubles but it seems like Atkins had been brought up multiple times throughout the year of of just like yeah i was i was you know, shot, you know, talking shop or game planning with Atkins, And you know, and we know Atkins very well. Has that become like one of your best friends on tour or if not, who who are some of the guys that you lean on more so than just common talk?
2: Yeah. So I, you know, I, I talk to him, you know, pretty regular. He, he likes to talk bass fishing a lot. And I, I like that. Like I, I want to talk about baits and stuff like that, but he don't fish very much in the off season, but he likes to talk about it big time, you know, but not, <laughs> He definitely is one that I've I've started talking to a lot more recently. You know, he's he's kind of he's kind of really good at the things that I'm terrible at. You know, and then I feel like I'm pretty good at some of the things that he kind of struggles with. So it it, it kind of it really kind of helps bouncing ideas off each other and stuff like that. But I talk to him a lot. I talk to Swindle a ton. I talk to Jason Williamson a good bit. And then you know, obviously, I talk to everybody that I see. All over the place. Like I stayed beside Stetson at Saint Clair. Me and him talked to and not not talking about this is where I'm fishing or nothing like that. Like I don't sure. or, I don't want to do that with nobody. You know, being but, cordial,
0: being cordial. Yeah, just
2: just talking. And I kind of feel like I kind of talk to everybody. But those are the three that I talk to the most by far.
0: So I'll say this as a as a joke because Jason's been around for a long time. Do you does he talk back to you or do you just talk to him? <laughs> Because Jason's real quiet,
2: man. You know, he he talks he talks way more than I do.
0: That's funny. <laughs> we love Jason. He's been around for a long time. It's uh, he's a what is he? Two-time Elite
2: Series champion. So, he told me a story. I think he said that Trip, well, I guess the first or second year, used to call him Two Bag Williamson because on Amistad he caught like thirty. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and he had to put them in two bags, so he called him like Two Bag Williamson, like as a joke. Y'all should definitely bring
0: that back. We, yeah, we'll have to bring that back. Two-Bag Williamson. Tower of Power is real intimidating. You know, I always think yeah. – I've never been in a bar to have the opportunity to have a fight in a bar. But I've always thought about who would be my Elite Series brother if I was in a bar fight that had my back. And I always thought, you know – Christie and and Combs and Williamson would be a good one. Lee Livesey, you know, like I think of him. So Williamson, two bag Williamson instead of Tower of Power makes him seem much more, you know, nice to be able to go talk to.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Makes it a lot easier. You also need to put some roll in your bar fight. Case. Oh, no doubt. He's got <laughs> yeah. nothing to lose. I
0: know Caleb yeah. is taking his flip flops off and getting after it. <laughs> Anybody that's probably got some experience would be a good team. Good yeah. player. And we've named a few of them
1: that I'm certain have that's... some experience with bar fight.
0: <laughs> that's funny. I always used to say, I don't know if this is true or not, I always felt like combs would be the guy in the bar that once the fight was done he would just put a nice shotgun shell in your chest and just leave you for that he's like whatever you know well i beat you you're done you're done i'm just that's how we do it in texas um well, Kyle, I appreciate you joining us for the Angler of the Year special—the last podcast of 2023. We hope we get to do more of these with you in the future. Appreciate you. Congratulations! Like we we could list off the accomplishments: nine out of nine for making the, the cuts, uh, rarely having a bad finish in your top 50s, um, being an AOI hunt for as long as you were, and then also when you had the back and forth between Cobb, it wasn't it wasn't ever his to win. It seemed you kept it you kept it within range. So, congratulations. Take that title and run with it, and we are glad we'll get to see you at the Bassmaster Classic this coming season. Yep, sounds good. Thank you all. Awesome. Well, Kyle Welcher, we just mentioned it, had a great podcast with him, one of the longest we've done in a while. We got to to cover so many things there, Kyle. I feel like I've been saying the word Kyle so much, and no one knows who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to you this time, Kyle. Uh, We got to talk about his whole season, highs and lows, overcoming adversity, learning more about himself, who his closest friends are, bait development as well, and then also what he thinks about, you know, in terms of the sport and, and how to uh, approach, I guess, mentorship. So, man, I, I feel like that guy's an onion. You could pull back layers and layers and just – he's texted me. I know he pays attention to everything. He texted me about YouTube videos, about things that we should do at Bass. I always appreciate that. I always get mad at anglers who are just like, you should do – or this isn't working, and I'm like, well, give me a solution to it. Don't just tell me my problems. I know I got problems. Tell me my solution. He's always one that throws our ideas back and forth, so I could see spot on why he's great with bait development for sure.
1: Such a unique guy. I mean, just in general. I feel like from the the very first time I ever talked to him in person, which was shooting content, ironically, um, when I first started at Bass, to you know, watching him on live his first year in the elites. I mean, just such a unique character uh super intelligent and it doesn't take long in talking to him to realize this guy's really smart, um, which makes him super unique to talk to about really anything. Cause it's like anything he does, it seems very well thought out. And um, you know, it, it's not like surface level thought. I mean, he gives it really good thought. And um, like you said, with the bait development, I mean, that's what it takes because you know, a normal guy like me or you could get a bait and be like, Oh yeah, this this is good. Like this is good, but like. You know, having those finite details um, with everything you do, obviously, is, is part of what makes you um, somebody like Kyle super good with, um, you know, the the
0: things that he's great at. I mean, it's part of what makes him great. You have to be overly obsessed and meticulous about it uh, to go to the next level. There's a lot of people obsessed with bass fishing that aren't to the level because that it's a 365 day. Th- it's not 10 events. You're not working 10 weeks a year. You're working 52. And the the quicker that we can get younger anglers thinking on that plane, the less not entitled because I think the Elite Series pros deserve more than they get when it comes to sponsor stuff or or whatever the case may be, the love that they should get. Um, but when you take that entitledness out of it, your desire goes way up. You just continue to work hard for the respect, and it's not given to you. But, um, yeah. I think that Welcher is just absolutely – he proved me wrong. I got proved wrong in the two biggest things of the year. I thought Cobb was going to win AOI because I wasn't quite sure. But I did, I did call it and say Cobb was going to play it safe. Welcher was going to go for it. I just didn't think that Welcher going for it was going to result positively with the weather that we had. So I was wrong for who was going to win AOI. And then I was wrong that Gussie was going to win it all on smallmouth for the classic. So at least I can't be wrong at grand Lake. It's going to be one on largemouth. I, so I'm excited to not be wrong there, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> with being a bass are going to win. Now yeah, they're going to be magnums, freaking magnums. <laughs> um, well, Kyle, appreciate you joining me, man. Thank you for always hanging around. You're one of my best buds and one of the bright spots and future of the Bassmaster brand and company. So, I will be bothering you to get some specific Kyle Welcher videos when you go and meet up with him and do the J uh, trade-off there. But And if you get those shoes, let's just split it 50-50 on eBay or something, maybe 60-40 your way, whatever you want. They don't even have to get back to the Bassmaster headquarters there in Birmingham. They can just stay in your apartment. Yeah, I didn't even realize, to be honest, that they had talked about the shoes on his on his
1: YouTube. And I watch, I I I'm being dead serious when I say this. I watch a lot of Kyle's YouTube stuff because it's just very genuine, pure fishing, um, which is just fun to watch. But uh, I had had that conversation with him there at the St. Lawrence River, and was like, "Dude, you've been wearing the same shoes for like as long as I can remember." And I knew from the Saint uh, Saint John's tournament where he caught the ten pounder, I knew I had the same shoes. So in my mind, I was like, "That's cool." And then, you know, seeing him wear them four years later, I was like, how is he still wearing the same pair of tennis shoes? I was like, I, "Like, dude, I've got the same pair. I've probably worn like two or three times if you want them. And he's like, his eyes lit up. And he's like, are you kidding? He's like, yeah, I want them. Of course I want them. Like, <laughs>
0: they don't make those shoes anymore. Like, yeah, I want them. I Just like, wait. He's going to miss you know. the first event check. He's going to miss the cut of Toledo Bend and be like, you got to give my shoes back before four. Yeah. Uh, it's, the, it's, on the, it's not my hair. It's the shoes. I won't, I won't be taking his shoes. He can have the old shoes.
1: I just want to do a nice deed and give him the new shoes. Because again, like I said, you probably can't even find those shoes on like eBay or anything. I just happen to have a pair that I've I've almost never worn. So um, probably the only person in bass fishing that I know of, or really probably that has the exact same shoes. So it's like, you know what, dude, they'd mean more to you than they would me. So you can have.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Just like my trucks, my shoes are pretty much gray. I don't like black. I don't like white gray right down the middle. They go with everything. So I don't have the black and white J's like you have, but Kyle appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Like usual. I hope, man, I, I feel really bad. I'm still hung on the first thing. Welcher said that this podcast is I'm the star of it. That is never the intention of it. I just needed an outlet to just talk fishing for an extra hour every single week. And that's what I do with you. So, I hope it's not perceived like that. One of these episodes, I'm just going to play mime, and I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to let you do the whole thing. But uh, we'll see you in 2024 with the Bassmaster Podcast. We appreciate everyone listening for the support, and we hope to have a great 2024 season uh, right around the corner for the high school, college, team, nation, elite series, classic, opens, all of it. And we'll cover it here on the Bassmaster Podcast.